You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. You know, it's interesting as we look at the true account of Christ coming at Christmas, it's so interesting just to realize that all the main characters, all the people who played a role, didn't really see themselves as being a main character in God's big picture story. Kind of like you and me. We think that's left up to great people, to other people, to people who are really prepared to do these things. And we look at scripture and we say, that's simply not God's economy. That's not how he operated. That's not how he worked. And we're going to be so encouraged, I think, today when you and I walk into a room like this and we feel a little bit discouraged or under the load or maybe we've bought into the whole performance complex of all the things we should do and all the things we aren't doing and we just buy into the, you know, being on the naughty list, uh, even though we, we're trying to be nice, but we feel like this year maybe we walk in the room and you feel like, I'm on the naughty list this year. And you walk in with this performance thing and you got to realize that all these people in Scripture who played a major role in God coming to earth uh, were the most unlikely people. They were the regular people. They were not the people standing on a stage there were people living their lives, going about their business. When God interrupted their world, then they had the chance to respond to his invitation. If you have your Bible, open with me to Luke chapter 2. If you're wondering where is the Christmas story in Scripture, it's going to be in Luke chapter 2. It's going to be in Matthew chapter 1 and 2. And that gives a genealogy of Christ in Matthew, and the, which is the setup. Like, where, who is Jesus? Where does he come from? What's his lineage? What's his history? What gives him the right historically to be the Messiah in a Jewish culture with a Jewish heritage, what gives him the right to be who he is by his birth line? And then Matthew chapter 2 gives the other uh, portions of the Christmas story and following. Today we'll look at Luke chapter 2. If you want to find out where to read about a dark and starry night, it's all in Luke chapter 2. Today we'll begin with verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. What's really interesting to me is when we look at the Christmas story, that Jesus would have his, the announcement of his birth be told to the most unlikely of people. What's really interesting to me is whom the angel appeared to. Angels, one of their roles in scripture is that they were a messenger. Uh, what would often happen is that in this time, in, in that day and age, if you had a baby born, particularly if you had a firstborn son, that would be like a sign of God's favor on you because it means your family name would continue on. So the first time that you would have a son, you would definitely want to announce that. And so in that day and age, you wouldn't go online and create your baby announcement and send it to all your friends and families looking photoshopped and perfect, like a you know, perfect little baby picture. And you wouldn't send that out. What you would do in those days, if you were a family of means, you would hire a herald. 
And a herald is a person who would go out and proclaim in the streets your baby's arrival. They would proclaim in the streets, this baby has arrived and y'all need to know about it and we're just so overjoyed. And then word would spread by word of mouth and that's how you would know who was having a baby in a small town. Because if you were of means, you would hire a herald. And so that's what they would do. But that's what God does right here. But he sends angel. He sends an angel, a messenger, or a herald to announce the good news. When we sing, hark the herald, who's, kids always wonder, who's herald, right? <laughs> but we understand that this is the messenger, the angel of the Lord, that he basically comes and says, I'm here to announce this good news, that this long-awaited Messiah has shown up. But what, again, is so interesting to me is that God, when he decides who, to whom will I send this announcement? Whom gets this message? It is shepherds. Think about it for a minute. If you and I were to make the announcement and we were to say, God has come to earth, who would we want to get the word out to? We would want to go to like pop singers and pro athletes and kings of the world and all these people because their social networking is better and they could proclaim the news better than anybody and they, we would want to get it out to people that we think in our culture of are very important people or very powerful people. Maybe we would want to go initially to all the religious professionals because this would be the Messiah, the Christ, the Lord. And that's not who God sends the angel to. They didn't go to Dave and Heather's house. They didn't go to the rabbi's house. They didn't go to the Pharisees or the Sadducees. Didn't go to the kings. And what was upsetting for some of them is that they found out about it secondhand because they were so entitled. Of course it's supposed to come to us. And it didn't. When God decided who, to whom will I send the messenger, he decided Shepherds, And I know some of you are like shaking your hands like, I know, Dave, because obviously my nativity scene has shepherds in it. But see, in that day and age, you got to realize a little bit about who the shepherds were and what their job was actually like. We think that they were just nice, really herdsmen who watched over the flocks at night. And like they were kind of like the people who in our day and age really do take care of like abandoned animals and we want to fold their hands and think they must have been really, no, shepherds were, that's not what a shepherd was. Shepherds, by the way, were one of the most disrespected groups of people around. The job of a shepherd was so low that if you were a father, you would give it to your slave and not to your one, one of your own family members, you would say, it's so low that I would make a slave be the shepherd. Now, if you didn't have means or slaves, then what you would do is you would give it to the youngest family member. I'm so sorry, but you're last in the lineup and you become the shepherd. Think back to the Old Testament. David was the shepherd among Jesse's children. The least likely to be anointed a king. Why? Because he was a shepherd. He had to go take care of the sheep. And it was a, kind of, in that day and age, an awful job because shepherds were uneducated. They had no means of advancing their career. In fact, according to the religious system, shepherds were always rejected. They were always rejected. The religious leaders actually taught people in those days that the Shepherds were not good enough for God, that the shepherd, if you were a shepherd, you could not be made right with God. In fact, the shepherd's 
couldn't live up to the religious regulations of their day. And so it's no wonder that if you were a shepherd, you would sit there and always be worried about your standing with God. You just didn't know where you would stand and what it would look like, and you were pretty worried about that. So we realized, first of all, if you're taking notes today in your outline, that shepherds felt unworthy. Can you relate? You ever felt unworthy? See, the reason is shepherds were like nomads. They would take these flocks of sheep and they would guide them around the countryside and, and much maybe like uh, someone who works as a trucker today. They might be out in their truck and driving across the country for maybe 10 days, 12 days at a time. And then they finally get back to their family and it's harder for them to build tight relationships with people because of the nature of their job. But shepherds would go out for not just 10 days, they would go out for several months. They would follow the course of the grasses and the rains and, and those kind of things. And so they would go on their trek and they couldn't come back all the time to the temple to fulfill their religious obligations. So by the nature of their job, they were prohibited from doing the religious things they needed to do to follow the Old Testament law. They just simply couldn't do it. They were restricted from doing the religious obligations because of their job. They felt unworthy. They couldn't come back to the temple all the time. And it's ironic because the shepherds are taking care of sheep. And shepherds would always be on the lookout, according to their master, to look for a, an unblemished lamb, because that's the kind we're going to need for our religious fulfillment of the Passover. You need to look for like good sheep and ones that can be sacrificed at the temple that are fitting sacrifices, not the, not the three-legged sheep. We need all four and we need like no weird spots and no diseases and no lumps and we want the good sheep. And so the shepherd would be the one who'd have to like divide out, ooh, that's not a good sheep. This is a good sheep. This one's worthy to be sacrificed. So the caretakers of the sacrifice can't benefit from the sacrifice that sheep represents. You're taking care of it, but you get no religious benefit. You don't even have the right to go up to the temple. They felt unworthy. Shepherds felt inadequate. Never going to be good enough, never going to have enough, never going to be able to get ahead. They felt inadequate. They smelled like sheep. It's not a great smell. My wife grew up on a sheep ranch. We go visit every now and then. And, uh, and so I know the smell of sheep. Well, shepherd would be the one not just being among the sheep. They would be physically dirty, but they would be seen as being spiritually dirty as well, like someone maybe we might look at who is homeless. They've got little chance to advance their life. I mean, they're spending full time just taking care of today's basic survival needs. And so the culture would look at them and want to put them away, and you stay out there with the sheep, and, and you're, you are unworthy, you are inadequate, you, you certainly had no dowry, you couldn't, if you were a shepherd, marry potentially the person that you wanted to, you were just basically taking care of that. They were usually looked at as thieves. Why? Because they traveled around. Everybody knew that they're just trying to keep up. You know, the, the owner might be worried that they might steal a sheep. They were traveling around. If things went missing, you'd probably blame a shepherd. Maybe somebody's shepherd came in while you were out and stole some stuff. And they were looked at as thieves. It was always suspicious. People would always look at them through the eye of suspicion. They always felt inadequate. 
And third, shepherds felt unloved. Culture rejected them. And literally in their mind, they figured, God has rejected me too. Obviously, I'm on the naughty list. I can't do the religious things that would maybe make up for that. And so shepherds felt unworthy, inadequate, and unloved. They felt abandoned by their culture. They felt abandoned religiously. They were rejected in so many ways. Maybe you feel abandoned. Maybe you feel unworthy. Maybe you feel rejected. You know, some of us grew up in families where uh, maybe it was you and your mom and your dad and your dad chose to leave and, and you're in a family like that and you're saying, you know, what was wrong with me? That it was, it was you and mom and me and what was wrong with me that you decided to leave? And maybe some of us in the room are the person who decided to leave and you're saying, this will give me my freedom. This will give me some better way out. And you found that in, in, in taking care of what you thought to be your own needs, you found yourself to be in a position of abandonment. Like I, I abandoned my responsibilities and now I found myself to be more alone than I ever thought I would be. Some of us are asking the question, what's wrong with me that you would leave the marriage? Why would you leave me? What's wrong with me? Am I damaged goods? Am I abandoned? Am I rejected? Am I unworthy? Am I inadequate? Because I feel unloved. Maybe some of you are feeling left behind this year because of death. And you're saying, why couldn't you stay? Why couldn't you overcome sickness or illness or death itself? Age. I got a text last night that my cousin, who has a 19-year-old daughter, this 19-year-old daughter went into a diabetic coma and is brain dead. Right now, right for Christmas. Why couldn't you stay? Why doesn't life work out like we want it to? And a lot of us, you might look in the mirror at home and you don't love that person looking back at you in the mirror. And you're saying, if I don't love me, how could God love me? You're like a shepherd. You're abandoned. You can't get ahead. You just can't get any momentum. Any momentum you get just seems to kind of stop. And you feel unworthy and you feel inadequate and you feel unloved. You say, well, how could God love me? And then we turn to the Christmas story uh, a true story that we celebrate the coming of Christ every year. And we began for the first time to take hope because we saw that God would send the announcement to the very ones who were unloved, the very one who was unworthy, the very ones who were inadequate. And that's who God chose to reveal himself to. That's who God chose to invite to his arrival. That's who God chose to extend himself to right at that moment where they were stuck. He said right there, I'm inviting you to me and to meet me in your moment on a dark and starry night. And so we realize if you're taking notes, you cannot earn acceptance from God by observing the law. You can't. There was a young girl who said this. She said, Mommy, if there really was a naughty and a nice list, we would all be on the naughty list. How many of you say amen to that, right? 
We could all be on the naughty list, right? This statement from a child actually has great theological depth because they understand what Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says. It says, none are righteous. No, not one. No one is righteous. Scripture in other places says that all of our good deeds are actually like filthy rags. We are tainted by sin. And simply following the Old Testament law doesn't earn us acceptance with God. That wasn't the role of the law. And we have to ask ourselves, well, how do we, how do we teach our children this? I mean, we're, we're still trying to get it. How do we teach our children, like, about Jesus Christ? How do we teach them to distinguish the law from the gospel, the good news announcement of Jesus, that our righteousness is through him alone. How do we teach our children that? I mean, I want my kids to know that Jesus Christ is not just another Santa Claus or an elf on the shelf. I want them to embrace the fact that they are not capable, my kids, they're not capable of being good enough to ever receive anything but coal in their stockings and that our hope for goodness can only be found in Christ that all of us would be on the naughty list, that we all deserve coal. Let me just ask you for a minute, what if things like Santa, Elf on the Shelf, not that those are bad things, they're not necessarily true things, but what if they're not bad things? But what if by default as parents, we somehow are teaching our kids more of the law, a little bit of karma, instead of the great news, the good news, the freedom from the law in Christ. Doesn't mean to observe or play with those things is wrong, but it just means how can we awaken our children's eyes and our hearts to the coming of Christ this Christmas? What could we add to what we're doing? How could we adjust what we're already doing to do it in a way that we're not simply just reinforcing the law of condemnation that we already experience. Because the law cannot earn us God's acceptance. I think sometimes if we're not careful, we can elevate the rule of the law, that our children believe not just what is heard, but they, they, they take with them what is caught in as much as what is taught, right? So by default, there are times that we go, oh, am I, I didn't, I wasn't trying to, we were just, we were having a great time, but am I potentially reinforcing the law instead of reinforcing the truth about Christ? And thank God for the gospel. Thank God for the incarnation of the son who would come, leave heaven, come to earth in the form of Christ, who would Come down and save us from this filthy mess. Thank God that we no longer live under the burden of the law, but now that we live under freedom in Christ so that when you and I do wrong things, when we are unworthy, when we are unloved, when we are inadequate, that God says, I am more than adequate because my righteousness is not through your performance. Your righteousness is through the performance of Christ and him alone. Thank God for that, right? Because who in here is going to be a perfect parent? Not me, and probably not you, but we can be intentional. It's so good that those who are unworthy, inadequate, and unloved in God's eyes are favored, highly exalted, and accepted.
And we are like sheep or shepherds who all too quickly forget. Now, I want to introduce you today to my wife, who is a phenomenal resourcer. And I remember as we had kids, so give it up for Heather. Come on out here. And I just want to say uh, that over the years, we just have tried some different things, and we just want to give you some helpful ideas. You don't have to do all of them. You could do none of them. You could do some of them. We're not saying this is the only way to parent. We're not saying that uh, what we've learned applies in every situation, because you could be in a blended family. You could be a single parent. You, we all have our traditions that we are attached to and that we love and that we celebrate, and families operate in different ways. But we thought we might just share with you, because I know so many parents are like, how do, what do you do with that? Like our, one of our uh, children works in the children's ministries, one of our, our youngest teenage son, Joshua. And recently the kids in the class were having the debate, is Santa real or is Santa not real? And so they took it to Joshua, who is the, you know, like the teacher in the class. They said, Joshua, we know, is Santa real or is he not? And Joshua said, you're going to have to ask your parents. <laughs> right? Dodge like that bullet. Woo! But like, how do, what things can we do as parents that may help us awaken the heart and teach the truth of the good news, just how good Jesus is? So Heather. God is so good. He has given us reminders all over the place. The colors of Christmas. We have evergreen that reminds us of eternal life. We have the color red that reminds us of his shed blood. The white, his purity. The gold, his divinity and his kingship. And then the silver, the price that he paid to give his life for ours. So even those colors remind us of Jesus. And then also the symbols of Christmas, the angels or the star on top of the tree reminding us of the star of Bethlehem, the lights that Jesus is the light of the world. Mm -hmm. And even our candy, we're food motivated in our house. So that very candy cane that is a J that reminds us of Jesus is also a shepherd's staff to remind us of the shepherds, how God gave the good news to the farthest out. And we too can share the good news of Christ. And, and I like that because it, um, I like it because this, uh, the candy cane has white and red. So you could even just say red could represent the blood of Christ, but it makes us white as snow. Our sin is and washed. Yeah. Though it is scarlet, it's washed as white as snow. Yeah, hey, tip that a little bit. Tip it a little yeah. bit. Okay. Hey, you got to be a little more rock star. <laughs> okay. For the sound guys in the back. Yes. So, and it's just beautiful. God has given us these reminders that are built in, that are part of the traditions we already have. And our celebrations don't have to be expensive or Pinterest perfect. So even if you have paper and scissors, you can trifold your paper, cut snowflakes, and talk about how just like each snowflake is different and unique, God has designed us to be different and unique. And that's part of his plan and purpose. Or you can make a paper chain. We have in our boys' room paper chains. Just do a strip of paper and staple them together until you have 25 and you remove one each day counting up till Christmas. Building that anticipation, we write prayer requests on them. So as we take a link off at night at bedtime, we pray for the people. We pray when we receive Christmas cards in gratitude for those who have sent them. And as we mail our Christmas photos, we pray that they would be a blessing to those. And then I bring them out and have Christmas in July, and I look over and reminisce. I pray in July for all of the people who have sent us Christmas cards. So we make it a year-round kind of celebration. You know, uh, our, our kids have a 
Yeah, our kids have a nativity scene, and when they were little, we didn't want to give like the nice nativity scene. So we got like these little ones that you can sew together like this. And so we got, we got Mary and we got Joseph here. And uh, one of the things that we would do is, you know, it's, it's fun to look for like an elf on the shelf or, or different things around the house. But Mary and Joseph actually travel throughout the month, throughout our house, down toward the rest of the nativity scene. So each night when the kids go to bed, you know, they move on their own, I'm and sure. And if they forgot to move, they were really tired and rested in that location one more night. That's what they did, yes. But then the wise men come from the east, and they arrive a few days after Christmas. The baby Jesus arrives on Christmas Day. But we've loved this tradition. Our boys are teenagers. I still bring it out, and every now and then I think, ah, oh, they're not paying attention. But they watch. They're like, someone moved, and they're keeping watch. But do we want, as parents, to have our children looking for elves, which can be pretty fun, or looking for Jesus? And we want our children to look for Jesus. So one of our favorite traditions is we do an annual holiday Christmas drive. Yeah, how many and, like Christmas lights? Yeah. How many drive around and look for Christmas lights? Come on. Uh, yeah, all right, you can look online and find the best. And notice, <laughs> we want to keep Christ in Christmas and celebrating holidays, it's holy days. So we want to focus on God. So uh, I pop popcorn, throw in M&Ms because everything's better with chocolate. Do a few Christmas cookies and make some hot chocolate. And we drive around the neighborhoods and we admire the lights and remember that Jesus is the light of the world. But we're really on a Jesus hunt looking for nativities. So that's what we'll count up and be, okay, who's bringing Jesus? In our culture, yeah. we can go and go to a holiday sale. We can go to the store and shop, but you really have to be intentional to look for Jesus. So, and as, as moms, it doesn't have to be expensive or Pinterest perfect. Some of our best memories are mistakes. Like one year we baked up these cute little gingerbread boys because we love baking and cake decorating, did those and put them on the tree. And as the week progressed, I kept finding gingerbread boys on the ground. I'm like, boys, don't play so close to the tree. Are you touching those? What's happening? And it got so humid that the <laughs> moisture in the air softened the cookies. And it wasn't until the boys were all tucked in bed and I saw one bail that I'm like, oh, <laughs> I've been accusing our children of wrecking the, the gingerbread boys. So by the end, by Christmas time, there were just these gingerbread heads and carnage on the floor. Right. Yep. So, and some of those are mistakes mistakes make some of the best memories. So I have to tell you, there's this one Christmas that we <laughs> packed up Christmas cookies and caramel corn and it did some in and out shirts, all kinds of gifts my, my aunt and uncle would love, mm -hmm. mailed it to them. I neglected, you can learn from my mistake, I neglected to tape the lids on the Christmas tins. So my Aunt Janie got a phone call and they're like, we have a package for you with some suspicious white powder. You need to drive two and a half hours to the Colorado Springs Post Office, Grand Central, and pick up your box. If we don't see you by the end of the week, we will incinerate your package. And that was the year that our snowball cookies got named the anthrax cookies. Yep. And their Christmas presents were incinerated, so. Yeah, so we don't do it perfect, and, and these are ideas, literally. I mean, it's just, we didn't do all of them. We didn't do the chain this year. We didn't do like that, but there are ones that you could say, how, maybe I could take one idea. Maybe one of these things could be helpful. Uh, one of my favorite is that we, we decided, wow, how do we do that whole stockings on Christmas morning and St. Nick and Santa. And so what we decided to do is we said there was an actual St. Nick. 
He was a real living guy. He was a generous guy who threw coins through a window into a, a friend of his house who was, the ships had gone down at sea. He lost all his trade. His daughters were going to have to get sold into prostitution. So he took some of his own coins, wanted to do it anonymously, so he threw them through the window while some of them went in the stockings hung by the fire. He's a generous man who loved God and loved people. There's a real person. So we could teach the real story and say, St. Nick is real. It's this history. is the real story, and it's historical, and you do that. And then we decided for us, we would do them earlier in the month. So we just said, we said like December 6th, it's like St. Nick Day. So we just said, we'll do our stockings on that day. And so we actually celebrate more than just Christmas because it's like we get like St. Nick Day, and then we get Christmas. And, but that way it helped us focus Christmas on Christ and not just on that thing. And at the same time, teaching truth to our kids about real historical the real historical uh, story or account of people. And mm -hmm. so just little ways like that, you're, you're free to choose how to do your traditions. And so if one of these was helpful to you, I just know, I just remember what it was like as a young parent going, wow, we're starting from scratch. I don't have any idea. And all I knew was my family would read the Christmas story on Sunday morning uh, or on Christmas morning, which I highly recommend with your family. But that was about all that we really did. And I've just found over the years that it helps me prepare my heart as a dad or as an adult for the coming of Christ, even though I'm used to having celebrated that every year. Th Heather, thank you so much. Appreciate that. Isn't she great? Half the creativity in our house, uh, more than half, comes from uh, that young lady right there. And uh, she's been uh, a blessing over the years. And again, uh, even for us being married 20 years, uh, having three kids, uh, there are plenty of times that we can feel unworthy, inadequate, unloved. Put yourself in my position for a minute. If I'm supposed to be perfect and stand up here every week, how am I ever to do my job? But thank goodness for the gospel, that there is a God that my righteousness is through him alone, that the law cannot do it. We have to realize that the purpose of the law is to show you your need for a savior. To show you your need for a savior. See, the law in the Old Testament showed us what right and wrong was, that, that we had a deficit, that no amount of performance could ultimately fulfill the entire law. And so it was to show and reveal to the Jewish people that there was a Messiah who will come, that there is a savior who will come, there is a God who loves you and will pursue you, and he is after you. So now that we're convinced that no one's righteous, that everyone deserves to be on the naughty list, we have a sin problem that only one sacrifice can take care of, and it's not a shepherd's sheep, but it's Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, God leaving heaven, coming to earth in the form of a baby, living a perfect life, offering himself up on the cross for your sin and for mine, and we realize that righteousness with God comes by faith in Christ alone. He was the only sacrifice. And then he conquered death and rose from the grave. He was the one announced from heaven. We couldn't earn a righteousness on our own. So God's gift to us was the righteousness of Jesus, wrapped, not just in swaddling clothes or a baby's blanket and put in a manger, but ultimately, his son was wrapped in a blood-stained, tragic death. 
which culminated in him hanging on the cross and saying, it is finished. This work that I came to do, it is finished. I have conquered death. I have made a way for those who have a sin problem. And he gave his life and he died. When he said, it is finished on the cross, Jesus effectively annihilated the naughty and the nice list. That he basically hung on a cross and said, it is finished. And for those who will put their faith and trust in what I did on the cross, not what they think they can do. And there is eternal life, forgiveness for their sin. I will give them my Holy Spirit that will become a new creation. They will go from being spiritually dead to becoming spiritually alive. And that is good news. And that's why the angel said, listen, listen, shepherds. There is good news. Today, a Messiah, a Christ has been born to you. And this is how you'll know you find him. And then the shepherds said, we'll seek him out. But the shepherds didn't have noble ambition to seek out God on their own. They sought out God because God was seeking them all along. That the hungers they had on the inside were revealing to them their sin problem. And that there must be something greater. There must be something more out there. And God reveals his personal name in Hebrew to us. His personal name is Yahweh. That's Y-H-W-H in English. Hebrew would add the vowels to make it say Yahweh. The personal name of God. The personal name of God reveals his character. You know what Yahweh means in Hebrew? It's I am that's the name of God. No more definition, no more explanation needed. At the end of the day, I am. You say, I feel unloved. Through his righteousness, he's saying, I am all the love you'll ever need. You say, I feel inadequate. He says, I am. You say, I feel unworthy. And he will say, I am. He loves you. He's been pursuing you. Materialism will never satisfy the right Christmas experience or event. The perfect holiday event and family experience will never ultimately satisfy the hunger of the human heart. It's only through a God who has been pursuing you. Will you that hunger in your soul that wants the naughty and nice list to be eradicated forever was done in the King of kings and Lord of lords who left the glory of heaven to come to earth to be the righteousness that we might have relationship with God. It is him we seek. I love that line in that poem that says, I drain the lakes of your regrets. That's the kind of God we serve. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, just focusing on your own life. If you're a believer in the room, you've already said yes to Jesus and and maybe this year you've been captivated by anything other than Christ. Would you just turn your heart back to him in worship, in praise, in adoration? Would you, would you prepare the soil of your heart to respond to him? Would you give yourself permission to love him deeply? And maybe today in this room you're saying, I feel unworthy, I feel unloved, I feel inadequate, and I've never given my life to God. I never understood that there was a God who loved me and came for me, and I never understood that all about Christmas, but I, I know that I'm at my 
end and I need spiritual life. I need Jesus. And today you're ready to say yes to Jesus. If that's you, just right where you're seated, just repeat this prayer after me. It's a way of you just surrendering to the Lord. You might pray something just silently right where you're sitting like this. Just pray, Jesus, today I'm saying yes to you. I ask you to come into my life and give me new life. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose to new life, that you were God. And so, Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. Make me a new creation. Cleanse me. Wash me as white as snow. Give me worth because of what you did on the cross. Today, Jesus, I'm saying yes to you. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.